el primero de mayo. <risa> Hello and welcome to the The Sam D Podcast. I am your host, Sam Duzame Jr. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram and YouTube at The Sam D. That's T-H-E-E-S-A-M-D. For all content, audio, and visual, hit up thesamd.com. Follow along with the podcast on social media at The Sam D Podcast. Musical production done by May 1st Music. Support him at soundcloud.com slash May 1st Music. Adam Silver is in trouble. And it's not because him and the NBPA colluded to basically sabotage the health of now nine All-Stars and many other players to get us to this point. It is not because of that. It's not because the quality of play because of these injuries has been hampered. So it's not because of that. Adam Silver is in trouble because there's something brewing in two different locales that can fuck up the entire framework of the last few CBAs. Young players... And not just young in terms of four, five, six-year vets. We're talking rookie deal players are going to be in the position soon to say no to the rookie extension. That rookie extension has never been turned down before because it's like a rite of passage with the rookie wage scale There's no way to thwart that system. But now, two young phenoms still on rookie deals are in a position to say no to the guaranteed rookie extension that gets you to the second contract. And then after the second contract is when you're normally, all right, now I'm going to explore my options because now I'm going to be completely unrestricted. Luka Doncic and Zion, they are in a position to say no to what historically has been an automatic re-up of the original rookie deal. You go take that next extension, that three to four year extension, and then you opt out or then you work to the end of the contract and you become unrestricted. They're in a really good position to say no. We'll start with Luca because the Zion thing, that I think is easier to fix than the Luca thing. So Luca's out here and he's already qualified for the Supermax off the rookie deal. It's the Derrick Rose exemption. He's done so much so quickly. He's reached so many accolades and so many prestigious NBA All Honors first team votes for MVP, all that type of stuff that he now qualifies for the D-Rose exception, which now means he can get the Supermax at the end of his first contract instead of his second contract. That's a position of power. The Mavericks do know this. 
But from everything that has happened over the last week and change, and that has been floated out there in the ether for about the last month or so, there's a lot of issues in the front office. So coming into this week, there was a report in The Athletic, I believe, that mentioned a name, a name of a renowned gambler, a name of a renowned gambler who seems to have unprecedented access to the Mavericks front office. It was even insinuated that this gambler that has unprecedented access to the Mavs front office is a some sort of shadow GM for Mark Cuban. That he's out here setting lineups, dictating rotations, tracking minutes, all this type of stuff. This guy is an alleged genius, a gambling savant, has created algorithms to help you know, people gamble and make money and trick the system a little bit. So, of course, he's been brought into a professional NBA setting to use some of that skill set to help a team because there's no sort of conflict of interest there. So apparently this guy is a renowned asshole as well. He's not a people person. He's a tech guy. And that's sometimes when you have the disconnect between a front office and players, athletes, coaches that are considered a ranking file, there's the disconnect. There's the rub. Because the tech guys don't know people skills. They don't know how to communicate. They generally, and it's, it, this is a generalization, they generally aren't known for knowing how to you know, use verbiage to get their point across or just to show you know, decency and, and social civil skills with people under them or even people on their same level. So this guy falls into that same spear. Okay. He seems to be on that type of time where he's not a people person. He's stuck in his laptop, crunching numbers, analyzing data, all this type of stuff, and not really trying to break bread with the Lucas of the world. Luca has peeped game on that and has let it be known he's not really rocking with Sun. So this report, now whether this was leaked inside the Mavs organization, inside the Mavs front office by their now ex-coach Rick Carlisle or their now former VP or president of basketball ops and Donnie Nelson, I don't know. But someone inside the Mavs front office told the Athletic, yo, dogs, Luca not really fucking with this hierarchy system. And so much so that, you know, that free agency stuff, that rookie extension stuff isn't guaranteed. So after that dropped, Mark Cuban rushed to the defense of his mans, the gambler, who hasn't been found. His name is out there. I don't know if he has a Twitter. I don't, nothing has been said about Mans. He's playing that low profile stuff right now. So Cuban came out and said, and this is verbatim, it's bullshit. That's what Mark Cuban said. The report is bullshit. Within days of him saying that the report of that this renowned gambler turned algorithm analytic guy who has befriended 
Not only Mark Cuban, but, but others in the mass front office to the point that he is allegedly a shadow GM. Within days of that report coming out, Donnie Nelson steps down and Rick Carlisle steps down. So what does that say to you? There's a report comes out that says, yo, there's some shadowy figure type of dude pushing all the buttons in Dallas. Luca, who is of one of one in not only that organization, but in the league's eyes, is brazenly, openly saying like, yeah, I don't really rock with son. But Mark Cuban, the owner, who at one point was known as a player's owner because he upgraded all the locker rooms and put couches and recliners in there and souped up the locker room, tricked out in a good way the locker room so that players would enjoy coming to work. And that kind of set a trend where other teams had to then make over their locker rooms. So at one point, Mark Cuban kind of was thought of as a player's owner. But now, they haven't won a playoff series in about a decade. Rick Carlisle's riding off that one chip with Dirk in them. Luca, who is thought to be a one-of-one, one, who's a six-year pro, now is being looked at as, I mean, he's still held in high regard. Let's not get it twisted, right? But now this is the second straight postseason where... He's tricked off an opportunity to make it to the second round. And is it all on him? No. No. We'll, we'll get there. We'll, we'll pierce. We'll figure out this Mavs thing. Because the Mavs thing has layers. A lot, of, a lot of heat's been thrown on the Latvian world star. And I think unjustly. We'll get there, though. But let's stick here with the whole Luka stuff. Because Luka had a press conference. In Slovenia, son's already back home. He's already at the crib crib. He got the fuck out of, out of America ASAP, right? He wasn't going to Cancun. He's, he's, he's playing it. He's playing the crib in Slovenia. He's already hooping there, getting ready for the Olympics. So they find him over there and he holds a press conference in Slovenia. And he's kind of just keeping it a buck. He could give it up how he wants to give it up in Slovenian. So... He says more or less he's happy from a basketball standpoint. You know, he says all the things he has to say, but then he slips in some stuff that makes you think, oh, he's not really happy, right? So what do you do if you're Mark Cuban? I mean, he's obviously chosen, right? He let Mark Rick Carlisle walk out the door. He let Donnie, Donnie Nelson walk out the door in this shadowy, you know, GM, degenerate, gambler, analytic guru, dude is still there. So while everyone wants to jump on the fact of, you know, Luca and, and what he is, is he really that dude? Should they really invest everything into him and Cuban? What's up with him? Like the real issue in Dallas is that Cuban and I guess others in his brain trust have clearly decided to ride with this analytic gambling guru dude, the shadow GM. That's who's running the Dallas Mavericks. You learned that this week. With Carlisle getting up out of there and Donnie Nelson getting up out of there, 
it has been the gauntlet has been laid down. The Dallas Mavericks have a shadow GM. And if you're Luka Doncic and you have a supermax on the verge of happening, you can cash out and get 200 of them things after four years, five years. Do you do it just for the bread when you already know, I don't like this guy's free agency moves? This guy, this shadow GM, who's just a gambler, who figured out some sort of algorithm or analytics system to be able to make himself a lot of money as a gambler. This guy's been brought in to now run the team that I've been in a figurehead since been given the keys of. Do I take the 200? Even though I know I can't run shit here. I'm getting the most bread. I'll get the ball all the time, but I'm not really running shit. Because if you look at this Mavs roster, you want to kill Latvian world star. I would push back on that only from a sense of Donka. Luca really is Slovenian Harden. I used that months ago when I was doing, you know, back then pick and pop prep. And I was like, man, Luca's got a lot of Harden in him. And now it's coming to the forefront now where you have, I think Doris, Doris Burke mentioned in that some other uh, blue check boys have mentioned, man, you know, he, he plays a lot like Harden. Now they're catching on. But it's like for real, though, because it even comes down to the usage rate, because when Harden was at his best, when the beard was cooking in Houston, his usage rate was through the roof, up a 30 percent into the 40s. You know what Luca's usage rate was in this this year's playoffs? Luka Doncic's usage rate. 45 percent usage rate. Now, again, you know I'm not big on analytics, but something that stands out that crazy, when you give me the benchmark, because sometimes we really don't know what these analytics mean. But if you tell me, yo, son, James Harden has the rock so much that his usage rate peaked in Houston at 40%. Okay, that tells me, okay, so that means if you're really ball dominant, if you have the ball every possession and you're dribbling the hell out of the ball, okay, the peak benchmark is about 40% because that was the beard in Houston. And that was when we, we saw someone dominate the ball. Only the point fraud probably dominates the ball more just on a game-to-game basis. But you're telling me 40% is really high, and that was the beard at Houston. Luca, 45%. He found a way to trump the beard. At his peak in Houston. That to me is a problem. So how can Latvian World Star get off. If Luca's doing unprecedented usage rate numbers. So Latvian World Star at his peak as a Nick. Before he got hurt. So again it has a caveat because a lot of his best numbers were before he got hurt. But then again, when he came back, he was immediately traded. And he was traded to a team that had already brought in a guy who they had given the keys to on draft night when they traded for Luka. So Latvian Worldstar at his peak as a Nick, 
was getting about 18 shots a game. 18 shots a night for Latvian World Star. Usage rate in the upper 20s, right? Upper 20s, low 30s at, at his real apex as a Nick. He goes to Dallas and his shots immediately plummet, especially in the postseason. Look at his po- postseason shots. He was getting 13 shots a game last last year. And even this year, it dropped even more to where he was getting 10 shots. Now, you can tell me, oh, well, that's because he just, he was really, uh, Luca realized or the team realized he wasn't that nice. Is it really that? Or is it because it's hard to play with a dude? It's hard to be a number two option when your number one option is so damn ball dominant. And that's the conundrum you face. How can you be a number two off of a number one that's so ball dominant like Luka? The beard has run into those problems before. Look at the number two guys he's had around him. Throw throw all the net stuff out. Because, you know, it's debatable what, what number he is. I mean, he's definitely not number one. I don't know if he's number two or number three. I don't know. That that's I think is more subjective than anything else. But let's take the beard at Houston when he was clearly the number one. He had Dwight Howard. Dwight Howard was his first number two. They got to the Western Conference Finals, and then the beard didn't feel Dwight was good enough, so he got Maury to get him up out of there. Then came was it the point fraud next? The point fraud, right? The point fraud. Now it became a real problem because the beard is ball dominant. And as I mentioned earlier, the point fraud's whole MO is to be ball dominant. It got to the point where it wasn't working, so they had to stagger the minutes when the two of them were on the floor. Then Tony had to do that. He had to make sure that they both got extended runs without the other on the floor so they could be ball dominant. And they still almost made it to the finals, but they tricked it off over 27. Point for all pulled up lane with a hammy. We know how that worked. So the beard wanted a point for it out of there so he could get the ball back again without no remorse. So they got the point for it out of there, but they had to take Russie in return. So now you're bringing in another ball-dominant guy to run with the beard. And we saw how that worked out. It was a borderline disaster. So it's hard to find the number two who can still legitimately be a number two behind a guy who's so ball-dominant as a number one. So how can you find a real number two for Luka when he's even more ball-dominant Then the beard. How can Latvian world star get his shots off, get a rhythm, find his niche when basically Luca's running one, four, one, five flat every time he's either running one, four flat or one, five pick and roll every time down. He's ISOing everybody up every time he comes down the court. How can you get past that?
essentially the offense is Luka and a bunch of shooters. The problem is Latvian world star at his apex, and I think even Knicks tape fans will, will give it up here. You know, they got salty on KP at the end because of the brother and all that type of stuff, but KP was, he was called the unicorn for a reason. Because he was 7'3", and he could yank him from deep, and then he could go on the block and mix it up, get some boards, block some shots. Like, that's why he was treated and called a unicorn. That's why, for me, it's like, oh, the Latvian where I had to come up. I was like, yo, this guy's going to be something. I, I didn't know whether he was going to be number one option good or high level number two option. But I was like, yo, this dude is nice. I told you, to this day, he's he's the tallest, skinniest man I've ever seen in my life in person when I met him the night before the draft. Just ridiculous. I, I never knew they could stitch a, a suit that tall and that thin. I never knew fabric could go like that. But once I saw him hoop, I was like, oh, I get it, though. I get it. I get it. The Latvian world star has a skill set. Like, he used to cross dudes up. Like, his his skill set is there. But he's been relegated to just being a shooter to surround Luka. That's not him. He needs freedom to get his shit off. He's never been given that freedom. I remember... Well, actually, that that's not right. He was given freedom, and we talked about it here. It was a short segment, but it was part of a longer pod where when Luca was out last year and Porzingis, Latvian world star, came off injury and was hooping, he was killing. He was looking like the unicorn. He was looking like the Latvian world star because he didn't have to worry about Luca. He was cooking. He was the, the number one option. And Tim Hardaway Jr. was going crazy. And everyone else was fitting in nicely because Porzingis, the skill set, he could show all of it. But when Luka came back, everything had to go back to normal. The 40 plus percent usage rate had to happen because, you know, sun don't shine, sun don't shine. Luca's in that phase. So is it really that Latvian world star is what 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 the, what they call him? Latvian Sean Bradley. Like he's he he was getting cooked on, on social media. Everyone thinks he's washed, he's trashed now, forget it. Whatever they thought they were getting, they're not gonna get. He's not a number two. He's not any of them. I'm just like, all right, let him go though. Let him go somewhere else. And let's see, though, I don't think he could ever be a number two, a high level number two, playing with someone like Luca. Latvian world star needs to rock. You can't go from 18 shots a game to 10 and then tell me I'm trash. When you give me 18 shots a game and I'm giving you 20 plus double digit rebounds, a couple of dimes and a block or two. You can't tell me I'm trash when you cut my shots damn near in half. Now, if you give me 18 shots and just the production's not there, then you could say I'm washed. Then you could say I'm trash. I think he's just a bad fit for this system. It sounded good. The Mavs have a lot of Euro influence. They have a lot of Euro dudes that 
I don't I don't know if Kleber makes a lot of other rosters. I don't know if Boban gets minutes on a lot of other teams. But seemingly for some reason in Dallas with this shadow GM, those types of guys have a home. I'm not going to read any more into it. You can read it. But that's where we at with Dallas. So while everyone is is trying to figure out what's up with Luka, Carlisle walks out. I was not the biggest Carlisle guy anyway, and I've talked about him on here saying he needs to figure something out, and maybe he was being dictated to from a shadow GM. Maybe the reason why he couldn't really change up a lot of the offensive philosophies is because he wasn't allowed to by this shadow GM. Maybe his minutes were being dictated, his rotations were being dictated from this analytic gambling guru shadow GM dude. Donnie Nelson, who has been in that front office for a very long time, we know who his pops is. He has a, a innate acumen that's assumed. But as a front office guy, maybe he couldn't make certain moves because this shadow GM pulls out his laptop and crunches the numbers and shows Cuban that ain't the move. What your what your VP or president of basketball ops is trying to do? Nope, don't let him do it because that ain't my numbers say this. Instead, you should have him go get this guy. Have him go get a Josh Richardson. And have him flip Seth Curry for him. I don't know. I'm just saying. So that's why I wanted to go Luca first, because you see how many layers there are to this Luca thing. He has a supermax. He's qualified for the supermax. He is a face of the league type dude. We know how the blue check boys are enamored by him already. Although some of them are trying to chip away at that armor. He's got 200 plus sitting on the table. With everything I've just laid out for you, do you think it's a given that someone who, I mean, look, if Lucas somehow became available, every team in the league is trying to go get him. Every team in the league. I'm not saying he's really that, but his perception and game have been prophesized to the point to where every team in the league would want Luca if he were to somehow be on the free agent market. If he if he were to somehow be available, it would be bigger than when Braun became a free agent or KD became a free agent. It would be bigger than that because he's so young, even though I would still tell you he's a six-year pro. So despite him being 22, he's a six-year pro. So you see the, the, the injuries, the little bumps he's been picking up over these couple of playoff runs. I'm just saying be careful. But people just going to look at the age. He's 22. He's 22. Okay. Go ahead. Supermax. Luka Doncic. Should he take it? And if he doesn't take it and he actually goes on the free agent market, what in the fuck will he get on the open market? And who? What team would he go to? Would he realize, hey, I need to get the ball out of my hands a little bit. I need a legit number two. Is Luka really, can you can you win a championship with Luka as your best player? I know that sounds like lunacy 
because he's assumed to be such a great player. Some people have him as top five already. And for sure, the majority of the league has him as top 10. Not me, but that's what it is. So, if a top 10 player becomes available, do you hand him the keys? What team can do so? And what team can win a championship with him as their best player? What type of number two do you have to have? The Luka thing is interesting. We're going to have to monitor that. Now, your man Zion... Oof, man, Zion. So a report came out. Look, Stan Van got out. Stan Van's out of there. Uh, you know, I've I've talked about the Pels enough. I've had to watch the Pels enough over the years because of my boy Greg Larner and him having an ESPN radio show out there. I've watched this that Pels team enough when they got Zion. I ain't know I did not know what he could be. I said John Morant should have went one over him. I said I don't think Zion is a number one option. Even after he finally showed up and started hooping and was hooping solidly, I still said I don't see him as a number one. Even though last year you can actually pierce the numbers and see how the team fared when young Reaper Brandon Ingram took the most shots as opposed to when Zion took the most shots. You can see the stark differences there. I still said, nope, Zion's not a number one. And I think the front office of not only the Pels, but the front office of the league, i.e. Adam Silver, want Zion to be a number one. So they're getting Stan Van the fuck up out of there. And this is where you have to figure out a lot of these coaches don't have the run or don't have the power that you think they do. A lot of front offices dictate a lot of analytics crews are running up in these front offices and getting gigs and creating these cultures where the coach is just a figurehead. The coach is just a figurehead. They dictate to the coach how things are going to go. And when you bring in these vet coaches or these retreads, like a Stan Van, you know, we just talked about Rick Carlisle, who had been there forever, and now an analytics crew runs up in there and tells him what the rotation's going to be. I'm sure there's some of that at play with David Griffin in the front office of the Pels, dictating to Stan Van, who's a vet, who's been to an NBA Finals, who likes a team run a certain way. You can't dictate to Stan Van what you want. He didn't sign up for that. So now Zion's family allegedly is not pleased with the organization or the team. And wouldn't be mad at Zion finding another team. So here we go again. You know, if Zion were to ever become available. Now, I don't, he has not qualified for the Supermax yet. But if he were able to get some sort of accolades next year to put him in the same conversation like Luca to where you can get the Supermax off the first deal, what do you do if you're Zion? That Pell's team ain't going nowhere. 
I don't care who they bring in. I hope it's Teresa Weatherspoon, Teaspoon. I hope they give her a chance. Uh, I think she would be fit, a good fit there. She was an assistant coach there last year. Uh, I wouldn't be mad at that. I mean, I've talked about Earl Watson getting a second gig for a very long time, and he just, I don't know what happened at the end of his Phoenix run, uh, but maybe his name is blackballed, or maybe his name is dirt in league circles. But I think Earl Watson deserves another chance to coach. I mean, go ask D-Book about Earl Watson. Earl Watson was there when D-Book put up that 70 in Boston and encouraged him to go for 70, left him in the game, called timeouts, called plays that were showcasing D-Book. So go ask D-Book about Earl Watson and then tell me he shouldn't get another chance in the league. So... When you look at what Zion can bring, he's a guy that can clean up. He's a number two option at best. At best, his ceiling to me, after a year plus of watching him and how his skill set translates in the league and how you view that asset or that skill set getting better in some ways while the physical attributes diminish in some ways, I think he's a two. He's a two. He's a he's a second option. But because he's Zion, because of the star power, he's still going to be viewed as a number one. And if he were to qualify for a Supermax and go somewhere else, you're not looking at Zion as a piece. You're looking at him as the piece. And that's where I think the the juxtaposition is going to be problematic and tricky. If he does become a free agent, if he does qualify for a Supermax and says no to it, who's going to put their neck out there and really go get Zion? And who's going to go out there and bring Zion in as a number one? And if you don't do that, Who's ballsy enough to try to convince Zion? We'll pay you like a number one, but you're not a number one. We know we have to pay you like a number one to get you, but you're not going to be a number one here. After all the hype, after all the Obama pulling up to the college games, the shoe explodes, the the league handpicked the Pels to get the number one pick so they could take you to help their struggling franchise. All this stuff that's been done to prophesize you as being the one. And now you're going to get number one money, but you're not going to get number one touches. Who's got the guts to pull that trick off? Because I think that's ultimately the move. He can't be a number one on a champion. He can't. So that's the second part of this. Adam Silver has two young stars who are household names in even the most casual of basketball fans' minds. And they both potentially can walk away from rookie deals, which is unprecedented. Everyone takes the rookie extension. Everyone takes the re-up. And then at the end of the second contract, then you bounce. So you give that first organization six, seven years. Then you bounce. And again, the draft is an antiquated system. 
you hear some blue check boys now floating that narrative out there, just remember who's been telling you for years how the draft is antiquated. So now when the blue check boys sniff around and they pick up that take and they trot it out there as if something new and mind-blowing, just remember how many years I've been sitting here telling you the draft is antiquated. And it's akin to slavery, but that's a whole nother. I want to get into Joker before I, I get up out of here. Nikola Jokic, um, obviously they got swept. They took that L and Nikola Jokic got ejected in his last game. He got thrown out in his last game. And I think it's so apropos that in a season where he never missed a game, in a season where he finally gets recognition that some blue check boys have been preaching for years, in a season where even after losing, I think, the team's best player and most important player in Jamal Murray, he finds a way to steady the ship to get them into the playoffs and advance and advance past a Portland Trailblazers team that was relatively healthier or a great deal healthier than the Nuggets were. He took his frustrations out. He was getting swept. His team was down eight. It looked to be on the ropes of maybe getting blown out again this time at the crib. Being swept at the crib feels a little different. He got frustrated. He let his frustrations go and he let his frustrations go on the player that probably got under his skin the most. The player that really was able to find his his stretch, his rhythm, his game in that series and just be a nuisance. And it wasn't that mid-range point fraud. It was campaign. He took his frustrations out on campaign because that was the epitome of, I can't win. I can't win because I don't have anyone on my team without Jamal Murray who can stop campaign, the best point guard on the floor that series. Nikola Jokic got frustrated and took all his frustrations out on the best point guard on the floor, and that was campaign. And I don't think the foul, I don't think the hit, even though he cocked it back, paused, reared back, and whatever, I didn't think it was worth ejecting him, right? But what happened in the aftermath of him getting ejected was, if you saw on Twitter, the video was floating around, you got to meet Nikola Jokic's brothers, and Nikola Jokic's brothers, I can sum it up, sum them up with just a few statements. Nikola Jokic's brother, while he was getting ejected, was in the stands wearing a Nikola Jokic jersey over a camo t-shirt in the year 2021, post-pandemic. That's the type of time... Nikola Jokic's brothers are on. They're wearing camo t-shirts in 2021. I will also tell you that Nikola Jokic's brother, one of the brothers, he's got two older brothers. One of the brothers used to run with Darko back in the day. Used to run with Darko Milicic, Milicic back in the day when he was in Detroit. And when I tell you they were on that type of time, they were running the streets after hours, and they were on that type of time. You know how Latvian Worldstar went back to Latvia and got laid out 
at his, in his own home country, let's just say it would take a lot of dudes to lay out Darko and the older Jokic brother. No one in, in Serbia is laying out Jokic brother or Darko. They on that type of time, okay? So that's the pedigree. Darko was out there wilding, partying, strippers, fights, drinking, boozing, everything. And the Jokic brother was there to witness a lot of that. And while he was in the mix with Darko, he realized ultimately this is what got Darko out the league. So when my younger bro comes up, I got to make sure he doesn't go down the same path of Darko. So that's why he's been riding with his bro ever since uh, Nikola came into the league, right? But this is also how uh, Nikola Jokic was raised. Nikola Jokic was raised by having knives thrown at him. I'll, I'll repeat that. So lest you think you could just run up on a Euro and press them like they don't got hoods where they from. Nikola Jokic grew up by having his bros, his older brothers, play games and by punishing him by throwing knives at his head. Right. This is the type of time that the Serbians are on. So talk all that Euro soft shit all you want. Just be a little careful. Some of those dudes are soft, just like there's some black dudes in the NBA that are soft. But please be clear. There's a South side everywhere. So fuck around if you want to. Just understand if you have any type of static with Jokic on the court, you got to understand that there's two other Jokic's, ones who know how to throw knives at people's heads who are trying to come down off the stands to get it shaken to. You know what it is. Appreciate y'all for listening. I'm giving y'all this pod to kind of steady the ship because there's a lot of game sevens happening going on. So I want to kind of get this out here because these are takes that are not necessarily time sensitive. I'm not going to, you're not going to miss anything. We're going to get to recapping all the game sevens. Once all that stuff is done, then I'm going to make sure we hop out and pod and recap all the game seven madness. So wanted to give y'all this talking about Luke and Zion because I felt that's also an important storyline. I don't want that to get buried under just the, the ebbs and flows of the playoffs. So I'm giving y'all that. I got some baseball bonus content on my man Greg Larnard show that I did with him. I'm going to throw that up as some bonus content. Also, there's a lot going on with baseball and they're just outright cheating and they're trying to stop the cheating, but not really. So there, there's a lot there. Me and him got into it about that. So I'll put that out there for y'all for some bonus content. And as always, man, holla at me. Twitter is the main spot. As we get closer to the finals, we're probably going to do some Twitter spaces. You know, I give y'all a recap after every NBA finals game. That now might be a Twitter spaces thing. And then we do a little quick pod recap or whatever. But if you want to join live on the Twitter spaces, Make sure you're following at the Sam D. That's T H E E S A M D. Use the pie voicemail. Hit me up on there. For the Sam D podcast, I'm the Sam D. I'm out.